We wondered how that would play out. <laughs> hey, listen, I know that all of us have been going through uh, quite the trauma and turmoil over the last two years. And uh, most of that has been attributed to the pandemic. But all of it comes from an evil source. And that's our enemy. We are not our enemy. We have an enemy. But the pandemic is not new. You remember your history of many other times when pandemics came through the world and there was devastation and death. But there's one mentioned in Scripture that's not really identified, but is a pandemic. And it happened in the city of Ephesus, that first century after Christ had returned to heaven. It was not a pandemic of a particular disease, but it was one of a misdirected idea of life. Ephesus was a great port city. They were known as the greatest city representing Rome in all of Asia, as they called it at the time. It was a, a huge city, over 300,000 people dwelling there at the time on this port in Turkey, as we know it today. They had one of the seven wonders of the world there, the Temple of Artemis, or we would say the Temple of Diana. It sat on 100 poles made from stone. It was a city that had streets 70 feet wide, lined in marble. The most beautiful thing you could imagine. Many more temples were there, but there was an amphitheater that could seat up to 50,000 people. I mean, this was the place to live. If you wanted to be known, if you wanted to be successful, that's where you went. You went to Ephesus. But here's the problem, and it's going to sound familiar to you. The people of Ephesus had combined all of their thinking of culture, religion, and politics into one idea. So they wrapped them together. And if you lived there, you were required to believe in their cultural views, in their religious views, in their political views. You had no options unless you were a Christian. Christianity became a threat to the culture of Ephesus. Why? Because truth always dispels darkness. But in the midst of that darkness, attempting to live, that's where we are today. We are in modern-day Ephesus, whether it's our city, our town, our village, our state, our nation, where cultures and politics and religions are all trying to blend themselves together in what is known as syncretism. It's where you pull from those things that you like and you build your own thought process your own religion, your own culture, your own politics. And when that happens, and Christianity comes in in opposition to it, then we who are followers of Christ become the enemy. 
So we have a choice to make. Do we choose to live in relationship to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and worship God the Father? Or do we perhaps add a few things from this culture and something from that religion and perhaps even espouse some kind of political view as a church? If we do, then we've crossed over that line. We're no more a threat to them. But when we hold true to our convictions of the love of Jesus Christ for us, then we become the enemy. The first one to encounter this in Ephesus was the Apostle Paul. Paul came in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People began to follow him. Maybe you remember the story in the book of Acts where Paul, when confronting unbelief, was railed upon by the merchants of Ephesus because those who were buying the idols and taking them home stopped buying. And so Christianity was affecting the finances of the city. So they brought a riot against Paul. And in the midst of that, here's this fledgling little church. You know, Ephesus is mentioned 16 times in Scripture. It was one of the most important beginnings of Christianity and where we can find some amazing teachings. John comes along later. He lives in Ephesus. There was even a historical home called the home of the Mother Mary because it is believed that Mary lived with John, that when Jesus on the cross said to John, Behold your mother, mother, behold your son, that he was committing his mother's care now for the rest of the day she would be on earth to John the Apostle. So John lives there, he works there, and somewhere in the 90s, 93, 94, 95, I believe that John began to recognize the tension between the two worldviews. That he was seeing this problem of the world and how we were confronting it with the gospel, but people were floating back and forth, having difficulty trying to decide, will I follow the world or will I follow Jesus Christ? And so he writes this letter that we're studying. In the second week, he's going to talk about this tension between the world and the church as it was then known. After that, John is arrested for preaching the gospel. He's put on a little island called Patmos. Many believe that's where he met his death, but we do know this. It is where he received the revelation from Jesus Christ that he wrote as the last book of our scriptures. So to begin with, Jesus addresses Ephesus. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. 
You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now here it comes. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's in reference to removing the Holy Spirit from the midst of the people. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Two sections in there become important as we move forward. They had lost their first love, but he's offering them the fruit of the tree of life. Christians in Ephesus had been choosing the world over their relationship with God. So John has written also, I believe, prior to what he received in Revelation. Now listen to John's words in comparison to what Christ has just said. 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. There's no better time in our annual life to think about the conflict of the world and the church than at Christmas. Because you and I know the purpose of Christmas. It is to celebrate the birth of the Savior. Now, we acknowledge that he was actually probably born in the spring, but this tradition has become something that we hold on to because we want to celebrate that night when the angels sang and when Jesus was born in that manger. We want to celebrate that because it is the beginning of the victory over the world by God. It's the beginning of our salvation. It's the starting point. Can we celebrate it? Yes, we can. We got all these trees up here. We got lights on them. We can put ornaments on them. We can buy presents for our friends. We can have celebrations of family. There's nothing wrong with any of that. As long as your focus is that this is Jesus' birthday. It's been our tradition as a family to make sure we always sing happy birthday to him. So that the kids growing up and my grandchildren coming up are going to know, yes, this is Christmas, but this Christmas is all about Jesus and about us, but we're together because of him. I once was invited to bring an invocation at a high school football game. And I said, well, that would be very interesting. I'd like to do that. And they said, well, there's only one thing. We don't want you to close your prayer in Jesus' name. I said, well, that's fine. You can find someone else to do that. 
Because I said, if I don't offer it in his name, then I'm going to offend him. And the scripture tells me that if I deny him before men, he will deny me before his father. So I said, you know, have a nice game. (laughs) Why? Because I understand what it means to celebrate him, to put him first, to keep him where he belongs, seated at the right hand of the father. The gospel is intended to offend. Did you know that? We should never offend one another. We should do our best to love one another, to be tolerant in a variety of situations, but never to the expense of the gospel. Because then we become syncretistic. We add a little bit from this belief system. We pull something in or delete something from our system so that someone else will be happy and we won't offend them. If it's about the gospel... It's about offense. So I let Jesus Christ and his word be that over which people stumble, not me. Jesus is love made known. Someone said this. I love this statement. A true Christian living in the world is like a ship sailing on the ocean. It's not the ship being in the water which will sink it. It's the water being in the ship. Isn't that a neat way of saying Christianity, our following of Christ, is like we are in a ship in the world. The world cannot sink us unless we invite the world in to sink us. So we have to hold true to that which we believe. The danger we face is the inconsistencies we find in our own lives of loving the world and loving God. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a battle of two worlds, a battle of two world life views. I see the world through the scriptures. I see the world as best I can as the Holy Spirit presents the world the way he sees it to me. If you're not in Christ, you cannot see the world the way God sees it. But you see a world and you put your hopes into that world. You're either carnally, which means fleshly minded, or you're spiritually minded. You're the one that gets to make the choice. And this isn't new. Remember I said the last verse in the Revelation passage we read, in verse 7, Jesus said, for those who are victorious, I will give to eat from the fruit of the tree of life. Now there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One was the tree of life, the other the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Satan entered the garden, his intent was to move this first couple, Adam and Eve, this representative of mankind, move them toward that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and away from the tree of life. That hasn't changed. That's still the intent of the evil one to move you away from Christ, 
to move you away from the power of the Holy Spirit and move you into the presence of evil. So we struggle. You see, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is what feeds our minds and and we desire and we pursue and we want this fruit of the trees. We stand there and we look at it. I remember in my 20s, my early to just about 27, seven years there, where I was the premier product of the world. I was pursuing everything the world offered. And when I thought I had found it, I had no peace. It was temporary. It didn't last. It didn't give me any meaning, any sense of reality of who I was. I was wandering and floundering because I was eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when I heard about Christ, I wondered, is there a way that I can balance the two, that I can stand between the two and when I feel like it, move this way and at other times move this way, that nobody would ever really be able to figure out that I wasn't this or wasn't that, that they would accept me in the middle of the two. But God says no. So you cannot live between the trees. We were born under that darkness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What I mean by that is that when Adam and Eve chose to sin, and it was a choice they made, then their spirits died, so you and I are born body, soul, spirit, but our spirits are dead. They're not alive. Because that is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when Jesus Christ came and he made his ultimate sacrifice for all of us and he returned and was seated in heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit lives in us and draws us into the beauty and the canopy of the tree of life. So we eat from the fruit of the tree of life. And there's no need to go back over here because there's nothing here that can satisfy you. Nothing at all. I had a really close friend for over 25 years, Joseph Jennings. Joseph was a former gangster and gang leader in one of the states. And he had been shot 13 times. I mean, he was a mess. And God got a hold of him, and he and I became friends. And I remembered one time as we were going somewhere to speak, we had a little extra time. I said, let's get something to eat. He said, that'd be great. I said, how about we go over there? He said, no, can't go there. I said, why not? I said, they've got good food. He said, man, I don't go into any place that says food and spirits. I said, why not? He said, you want to go where the spirits are? He said, I only want to go where the Holy Spirit is. He wasn't talking about alcohol. He had just taken that term to mean evil spirits. And so I learned something from that, that I need to be more aware. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating in that restaurant. 
unless you have this conviction that there are going to be evil spirits there, and then there's no reason to go into that, because that's walking into darkness. If you love the world, you're going to make it your supreme area of worship. Now, can I live in the world? Yes, and not be of the world. That's what Christ said. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Can I buy things? Of course. Can I reach heights of success? Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with living as a Christian in the world as long as you don't let that water in the boat. So it's up to you to decide, if I choose this, am I letting water into my boat? Am I letting the shadow of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil come back over me and eventually its intent is to pull me away so that I'm leaning in. You see, that's the struggle we run into every single day, every choice we make. Are we choosing what God's calling us to choose? Now think about this. If you are in the world and you're thinking as the world thinks, then here's how you're going to create your ethic and your morality. Ethics is what ought to be. Morality is what it is. It's what we're doing. It's from the ground up. I come up with an idea that it's okay if I do this, and I elevate that to a supreme thought. Now, when you do that, and all of us do that, and we end up with... 500 different ideas, all of which we say are okay, then we've just done away with morality. That's why those who move in darkness have no moral structure. They can't. They are dependent upon their own feelings, on the feelings of others, but not on truth. And see, the tree of life gives us nothing but truth. When we read the Word of God, we know the Word of God is bringing us true truth. And the moment I move out of that, then I'm building an arena in which I want to live that goes from the ground up. But Jesus Christ came down. Love was made known when love came down. And so those of us who are followers of Christ, we see truth as absolute. We see God as perfect. We look at his word and know there are no errors in the word. There are no conflicts or contradictions in the word of God. If there's a problem, it's our problem of being able to understand it. So we look at truth as coming from here down to here, not building it from here up. Tree of life people... We see the word of God is true, and we attempt to live it. The non-Christian, the person who has yet to be caught up in the love of God, and he will chase you until he catches you. I'm evidence of that. When he does catch you, he pulls you out of that and puts you into this setting of knowing that, wow, I can trust, I can love, I can be loved just for who I am, not because of what I do, not because of what I own, not because of any influence or authority I have, but just because I 
am a child of God. And as a child of God, he loves me, and I love him. Now, it's true, those moments come when I find myself, and this is what we call temptation, looking out the window from under the tree of life and seeing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over there, and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe. I mean, don't you wrestle with that? Just, just for a moment, maybe. I... But the Spirit of God, who leads us into all truth, says, no. Now it's my choice. I can obey God, or I can obey that sinful nature that is still within me. I have been a willing participant in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God delivered me. And he is there to deliver every single one of us. The pandemic is evil. That's what we're talking about today. A pandemic of evil. Where evil is trying to reign in this nation. To reign in our states. To reign in our cities. I'm not talking politics. I'm just talking evil. And so we as the church need to rise up against that evil. By speaking the truth in love. By doing what God has called us to do. Don't let your supreme affections toward the world rival the world of God. Don't let that happen. How do you keep it from happening? You need to understand the three primary fruit that come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at these for a moment with me. The first one is the lust of the flesh. Remember John mentioned that? That's when you gratify the outward senses of taste and smell. I mean, if you're walking in the hallway today, are you smelling some good food? It's being cooked in the kitchen for those of us who are serving today between services. And and every time I walked there, I was tempted. I really need to go in there and get something to eat. There was nothing wrong with that. I could do that if I wanted to. But you see what happens when your, your senses are tibulated? All of a sudden, you, you're ready. You want to go. So be careful of the lust of the flesh to be drawn away. That's something that Satan really loves to deal with. The other, lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Seeing and desiring something. I have a really close friend, a wonderful man of God, very successful man, And he drives, on occasion, a 2021 Corvette. That's the most beautiful car. Have you ever seen it? You know, I'm standing there looking at it, and he shows me that he said, the nice thing is, in the trunk, you can get two golf bags. I mean, that's very important to him. He said, now I have a frunk. I said, a what? He opens up the front, and there's a little lid. He said, and you can put your cooler in there. I mean, this car, when it comes to the curb at his house, it raises itself up to go over the curb. I mean, I'm loving this thing. I said, my, my lust of the eyes overwhelmeth me. <laughs> and my wife said, get real. <laughs> you know, you know you're laughing with me, not at me. The third fruit, the pride of life. How often we attribute our own successes, our own belongings, 
to ourselves. Listen, I have nothing. God owns everything I have. He has entrusted me as a steward to take care of it. Sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not. But I am not going to fall into pride because pride is the very thing that caused Satan to be kicked out of heaven. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, watch out for those because they are low-hanging fruit. But you stay over here where the fruit of the Spirit, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit is yours. And you live in this and you will feel your flesh fed and you'll be strong in him. And in that day when your body is raised again and your soul and your spirit are reunited with that body, you're just going to be amazed at what God has planned for us. But everything over here, Jesus said in Revelation, it's all going to disappear. It's all going to be gone. It's just going to be us. So I choose Christ. I choose the tree of life. Jesus lived in the world. He worked in the world. He ate in the world. Jesus was involved every single day in our lives in the world, and he was tempted in every way, just as us, without sin. What a Jesus. He's already modeled for us how we can live in this world without being owned by the world or without wanting to own the world. He's done that. He gave himself for us to prove to us his sacrificial nature. He loves every one of you sitting here today. And he would love nothing better than to say, if you choose me, then you have chosen life. So leave the world and come into the presence of God. Let that pandemic be something in the past, that pandemic of evil, and rest in him. It's not a difficult step to take. He's already drawing you, so now what he wants is for you to say to him, I know that I've been far from you, God. I know that I've been a sinner and I, I confess my sins and I need help. I want to live under the tree of life. If that's you today, I'm going to pray with us. That prayer is going to cover Alma. It's going to cover online and here. Because I believe God is moving to strengthen the church with a capital C throughout this nation so that we will rise up and be everything that he's called us to be. Today, you have to make the decision. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, one more time. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you today 
in the midst of the tragedies that have recently happened in this state, the families that are, are suffering from that and all the other suffering and pain that we've had throughout this pandemic. But Lord, we know that even more devastating than that is a pandemic of evil in our culture. So Lord, renew us, refresh us, revive us. And if there's anyone here who's never accepted Christ, just pray this prayer. Lord, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart and change me, whatever that means. I'm ready to follow you. Lord, we know that your spirit is moving right now. And we just thank you for it ahead of time. We love you, Lord. We love the fact that you made your love known to us when love was made known. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer here in Alma or online, we have for you what we call a starter pack, which is a lot of good information to get you on the first step uh, after you've accepted Christ. Those of you who are online, your host is going to post something for you so that you'll be able to find this. And lastly, with those cards on your seat, make sure you're coming back Friday night sometime between 6 and 9. Bring friends with you and go out and have a safe and blessed week. God bless you.